Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, today's guest is Jen DeRose. Uh, Jen is one of those passionate people about the environment and her own local hometown, which just happens to be St. Louis, great town. Um, she works as the manager of Known and Grown, which she'll explain to us in a bit, I hope. Uh, it's an initiative of the Missouri Coalition of Environment, of the Environment, uh, whose ongoing mission is to connect sustainable farmers within the St. Louis food shed with chefs, restaurateurs, and consumers. Now, how fantastic is that? So welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been looking forward to this since the moment I read an article about you or uh, in the Riverfront Times, it's a local St. Louis Alternative Edge Press, uh, you said a couple things that I found very interesting that piqued my interest. Uh, the first thing was uh, when asked, what kind of food would you be if you were a food? You said nutritional yeast. <laughs> now, I want to come. How can we not come back to that? We'll come back to that. But the other thing that you said, and I, and I really want to talk a little bit about is people, you hope people would stop eating garbage food. So what is garbage food? And, and why is it important that uh, some of us think it should go the way of fossil fuels? Uh, it is sort of a catch-all, isn't it? I, I, I define garbage food as ultra-processed, nutritionally deficient uh, food that was grown um, with tons of chemicals and pesticides and carbon-intensive practices, and also animal products that um, were grown on CAFOs or concentrated animal feeding operations. Um, it, that, that it makes us unhealthy, um, both as individuals and as a community. And of course, it's terrible for the planet. So it's sort of wrapping up a whole lot of con concepts into something that's easy and sort of catches the ear. You know, when you tell garbage, they tend to look at you sideways. But um, that is what most of us are eating. So, um, and I, I think it needs to stop. Well, it's it certainly seems. It, I mean, if you walk around a supermarket uh, and you look at the baskets that people have in front of them, it's just full of of ready-made processed food. I mean, I guess it's the processed stuff that's really the bad, the bad stuff for us. Yeah, and it's bad for a number of reasons. I mean, it's bad, as I said, nutritionally it's bad. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the essential elements we need to be healthy and strong. But moreover, it's like, where did this come from and what did it take to get to our plate? You know, a lot of it was raised, um, it was made from corn and soy which are monocultures that demand a whole lot of inputs like pesticides in order to grow. Um, and they're subsidized by our government instead of subsidizing nutritionally dense, healthy food locally. And that's the other thing. It's like, where is this coming from? And what was the carbon footprint that it took to get from point A, which is a field in the middle of the country, hopefully, to a refrigerated truck, to being processed, to being refrigerated again, to being nuked in your microwave? And, and then up in your belly, you know? It's just like, it's a complicated, convoluted process and um, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I, I wanna come back to that later because we're gonna talk a little bit about, about food sheds. But um, do, do you, I mean, if, you, if I went and told my mother-in-law or my friend Mark who lives in Toronto and I said, hey, look, you're eating too much garbage food. I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure if they would find that 
insulting or not. I mean, I have another friend and, she, and, and she's actually from St. Louis. And she said to me, you know, the way you convince people is to talk about what's in you, what's on you and what's around you. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, if you tell people they're eating garbage, is that the best way to, you know, sort of <laughs> maybe convince them to eat differently? Well, I mean, it's something. It's I change my I change my pitch depending on who I'm talking to, of course. Uh, <laughs> but generally, I think my my my, my uh, the shame that I am casting is not upon the eater. Like I don't think it's our fault that we got this way as individuals. Right. I think that we have been sort of tricked and marketed to um, to believing that this is what we should be eating. And, and there are a lot of factors to that. And I could go on and on about capitalism, but I'm sure you reserve that for a different authority on that topic. <laughs> well, but, um, there I are mean, reasons that we are here. Yeah. And I just want to say like, you have, you have an, as an individual have the power and autonomy to reclaim food um, and make your community healthier and stronger and more resilient, especially yeah. when we're considering climate change. Well, so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big issue, and it's hard not to go off on a tangent. You're going to have to work hard to keep me on top. Well, no, I don't want to keep you. I want you to go on whatever tangent, tangent you want, because they're normally the most interesting thing. I mean, some of the things that you touched on are vitally important with regards to climate change. Just that whole, you know, sort of supply chain energy cost of yeah. plucking and freezing and, uh, and insecticiding and pesticiding and all that crap. I mean, by the time it gets to your table... the enormous cost of energy alone should preclude us from wanting to have processed food on. But you're right. It's a kind of a convoluted sort of uh, thing for a lot of people. So, so what do you, what do you think is going to make folks change their mind about consuming garbage food? I mean, understanding that Costco and Walmart are not shrinking, they're getting bigger. Right. So, um, well, one of the things that needs to change, at least in the United States, in order for people's minds to change, is that subsidies for corn and soy producers, um, that needs to be transformed into subsidies for people that are growing real food in order to make the real food more um, inexpensive and affordable, especially for low income traditionally marginalized populations. So that's the first thing that needs to change. The second thing that needs to change, which needs, can start happening now, is that I think the general public needs education about how food gets to their plate um, and who is harmed in that process. And I'm not just talking about you know animal welfare, which is something I care very much about. And we're talking about CAFOs, we're talking about animals that are jammed into tight spaces and up to their uh, elbows in excrement, you know, and that's not good for them. But, but what about the communities that live by these CAFOs and how the concentrated animal facilities, sorry. And how are they impacted by it? How are they impacted by the tons, literal tons of waste when it floods, which happens often in Missouri? How is their air quality impacted? And how are the farm workers impacted? Those are often migrant people um, who are exploited and exposed to toxic chemicals and and, uh, dangerous working conditions for the super processed food that ends up on our plates. So I think when people start realizing there's a human cost to this, um, they tend to care a little more is what I've noticed. And I think, so I think a lot more education has to be done about that. Um, Another thing that's really important and absolutely essential to get people to start eating better food is that labeling needs to be clearer. I don't know um, how it is around the world, but in America, a lot of the, a lot of the labels that we see on our food are extremely misleading and intentionally so. Um, You know, we see things like farm fresh and natural and even cage free. 
And it's like, oh, that means it's good. That means it was a happy chicken raised on a happy farm that had access to grass. When in reality, none of those things are regulated by any industry. And most of those animals that you see that are packaged with right. these labels come from CAFOs. Right. It's awful. And it's like, you, there's often an up, upcharge associated with that false misleading label. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, small farmers aren't getting your money. Like real farmers aren't getting your money because you've been misled. Yeah. So I think a lot of education needs to happen in order for uh, in order for people to change their habits. Right. I, I mean, it's a massive cultural change. I think trying to reorient your uh, your what most people have very limited budgets to buy food, limited budgets to buy anything for that matter, and sure. and you know when you're looking at good wholesome fresh food, uh, it costs it it can cost a little more. Now, uh, what do you? I mean, well, how do you do that as a a father or a mother or sister or a brother or somebody, you know, you're trying to feed your whole family on a certain mm -hmm. budget and it looks like those horrible chicken nuggets are the best way to go. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, it's a real problem. And, uh, in St. Louis specifically, uh, there are some issues with structural racism and food apartheid that have created like areas where it is basically impossible right. for residents to get fresh food unless they have a personal vehicle, which is a whole other issue. But, um, I would say this, and this is my experience uh, as someone who has been uh, in literal poverty for most of their lives. Um, it is sometimes cheaper to get local fresh food. Um, and I'm talking about CSAs or community supported agriculture. Right. Um, when I was at my poorest, my, the least amount of money I made, I split a CSA with a friend of mine and it was cheaper than going to get groceries uh, in a traditional way. And I ate better than I've ever eaten in my life because I was eating this fresh local food. I was learning how to cook. Um, right. And there were huge meals that could feed several people. So there are lots of ways, you know, including farmers markets where you can be pretty thrifty and get local food that's healthy. But there is a time cost associated. Right. With I was going to bring that up. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about um, cost without talking about time. Um, it should always be paired, you know, because um, especially for people, low income folk, especially who are working several jobs to make uh, their ends meet. It's just like it's it's difficult to find the time to cook. Yeah, and you, that you, is a reality on the ground. So and that's that's um, the nugget that's problem. Yeah, that's the nuggets in the oven syndrome, as I call it. <laughs> right. And I, I no shame on people who who feel that like they need to do that. Um, but if if imagine this this alternative universe where real food was subsidized what you would see is more value added processed ready to go meals that were healthy and created from local fresh healthy food available in grocery stores so that hardworking people who don't have time to cook or feel like they don't have time to cook can pick up like exactly the same way they do with the chicken nuggets but instead of garbage, they're eating real food. Like yeah, that's, I, the, that's the reality I want to see. And that is yeah. possible if we change um, things at a policy level. Right. Absolutely. And you know, the alternative universe world that I dream of has that as well as all sorts of other great things so that people don't actually have to work five jobs to make uh, a living <laughs> or people don't need a personal car to have access to all the wonderful things that we can produce. And, and I think as you alluded to, it's like, one of the things I'd love to see, I don't know if you've seen it, um, and maybe we can chat for a second about that and then we'll go to a break, but um, one of the things I'd like to see is, I wonder how much it actually costs all in, you know, subsidies, transportation, energy, packaging, everything, 
for all this you know garbage food to arrive at your table as opposed to if you spent the same amount of money in your uh, local food shed. And I wonder right. what would come out better. Yeah, I mean, it, the answer seems apparent to me. Um, I know that when you spend a dollar locally, most of that dollar stays in your community, um, which is great for everyone, right? right I mean, it, right. every dollar that's spent in your community helps to build up um, all the things that I value anyway, which are um, supporting a living wage, supporting um, healthy, safe streets, uh, supporting um, a, a biodiverse ecosystem, like all these things happen when you support local farmers. That yeah. are, that's not happening when you're buying chicken nuggets. That's not happening. No, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna have to stop trashing on chicken nuggets, but uh, we, <laughs> let's let's take a little break uh, right now. We're speaking with uh, Jen DeRose, a known and grown manager at the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. Uh, Jen, do you have a place people could look out for you on Twitter or social media or anything like that? Yeah, I would really encourage people to visit Known and Grown on Facebook. Um, we're also on Instagram where we share regular updates and photos of our farms. That's Known and Grown STL, uh, all spelled out. On Twitter, we're Known underscore and underscore Grown. And on Facebook, just uh, look for Known and Grown STL. Uh, and you'll get all of the latest updates from our organization. Well, that's fantastic. Now we're going to go listen to a little bit of The Clash. This is a radio clash by The Clash. Uh, it was recommended by Jen DeRose. She's manager of Known and Grown, an initiative of the Missouri Coalition for uh, the Environment, uh, which connects uh, sustainable farmers with chefs, restaurants, and, and consumers. She's our guest today. And I, and I want to thank uh, Jen. We're going to put that uh, song, This is Radio Clash, uh, on the Sustainable Century playlist, which is on Spotify and features all the songs favored by our podcast guests over the years. Uh, we debated before the <laughs> before <laughs> taping whether we should put "Lost in the Supermarket" by The Clash uh, on on instead, but we we went with "This Is Radio Clash." It was a fierce debate. It was a fierce debate. I was telling Jen uh, also when we were setting up the pod that I went to a Clash concert 
in Edmonton, Alberta in 1982. Can you imagine? I cannot. I am so jealous. Yeah, you said that. And I really, and I have to say, and I apologize to you in retrospect, because I didn't really understand at the time just how iconic this band would become. So some pretty good memories. Mm. Yeah. Now, listen. So, uh, you know, it, 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 in that article uh, that I referred to a couple of times, at the, it's, you said you were uh, an ex-punk rocker do-it-yourselfer. So why should we trust you, uh, besides your great uh, knowledge, on, <laughs> but why should we trust you with our food information and decision-making? I mean, who is, who is pushing alter, you know, healthy and alternative foods? Is it just punk rockers or is it everybody? Oh, I don't know that it's just punk rockers, but I think that this really fits in with a punk ethic. Uh, DIY and community gardens really go together hand in hand. And as I've said to my friends many times, there's nothing more punk rock than planting a garden. It's just, <laughs> it's an anarchist move. It's a way that you take control of your own future and destiny and you say, I'm not going to participate in capitalism. I'm going to grow my own food. It yeah. is, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm very moved by punk ethics and I still continue to be even as an aging punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, but there's... that's not why you should trust me. You should trust Trust me, because I also have done lots of work on this subject. <laughs> so, uh, apparent, and apparently, according to the article, uh, uh, while you love working in the food uh, business, you're not that great around a restaurant. <laughs> I'm a terrible restaurant employee. Don't hire me. I'm very bad. Okay. I'm a terrible <laughs> server, terrible bartender. I, I, my very first uh, ever shift waiting, uh, uh, carrying food, food running, I dropped two steaks on a couple on their first date. Um, not good. I am not good at that sort of thing. Well, so. you know, as much as I used to love steak when I was younger, maybe that was a fortuitous move. <laughs> I was a vegetarian at the time and continue to do so. Get this stuff away from me. Anyways, <laughs> it's fantastic, you know, how people come uh, to become a foodie. And then once they are a foodie, how to, you know, sort of love uh natural foods. I was talking with a fellow uh, who was talking about victory gardens back in World War II, yeah. how everybody used to grow them in their backyards. And if you go to Portugal, even today, everybody has a garden. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it totally makes sense. And we're talking about, again, as, a, as I said earlier, climate resiliency, uh, growing your own food is not only going to be like a punk thing to do, but it's going to be what you have to do. It is part of creating a resilient community. Yeah, I so, totally, yeah. Not to be a downer, but (laughs) 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 at least it's something you can do. It's an action item that actually will make a difference. Yeah. So uh, so there's a, and it offsets carbon and all that good stuff too. So we interviewed some folks from fleet farming out of Orlando, Florida a few months ago. And, and they were kind of, they're, they're, they're Gen Z uh, punkers. I suppose you might call them if there's an analogy there. And what they were trying to do is convert every front yard in Orlando to a uh, productive garden. I think that that's a fantastic I think that's a fantastic objective. Hey, listen, one of the things that you we talked about uh, earlier was a food shed. Maybe you could just define that for folks and uh, and and let us know. You know, give us some ideas about what that is. Sure, sure. It's um it's akin to the term watershed, uh, which is in a watershed is that this idea that we are all connected to a bigger water system. So like the streams and rivers that are close to you, even the gutters that are close to you that drain into streams and rivers all go somewhere and they're all connected. 
Um, and so how we treat one part of the watershed impacts other parts of the watershed. So the food shed is a similar idea, but it's regards to um, how our food is grown in the geographic location where we are. So we define that as 150 miles around the St. Louis area. Um, what is the farmable land and how does that farmable land grow food and convert that, um, those raw ingredients into food that ends up on your dinner plate? So right. that includes like the markets and the processors and the distributors and the restaurants and all of the complicated nuances that go into of food in our area. Wow. Is it possible? I mean, how many people live in, in St. Louis around in, in the, in the food shed? 3 million people maybe? Oh, I don't know that off the top of my head. You, you've got me stumped. Yeah. I know, there's <laughs> six, I know there's 6 million in the state. So let's just say 3 million, let's say, or 2 million, Sounds great. whatever. Let's just say, <laughs> can, could, could 2 million people survive on a local food shed or is that unrealistic to expect? That is a really excellent question. And I will say this, if the, the food we were growing in our food shed was actually food, the answer would probably be yes. But unfortunately, the food in our food shed, less than 1% of it is used to grow actual food. The rest of it is used to grow corn and soy, which is mostly used for biofuel. Right. And then as animal feed in CAFOs, those concentrated animal feeding operations that I am obviously against. And then it's also used to create um, the super processed garbage food like uh, Doritos under the bus because why not? So like yeah, throw them under the bus. And, yeah, just... chips and super practice, super packet processed packaged foods that you find in the frozen section of a corner store. You you just so, threw, you just threw my my the food of my youth under the bus. Thanks for that. <laughs> hey, it tastes good, but you know it's okay. It's, it's, it's sometimes okay. treat, right? I'm past it. I'm past it. But okay, now I've really been dying to ask you this question, and I know you you probably. You're not a self-professed expert on these home delivery services, ready-made food mm -hmm. kits. But, you know, you see them on TV uh, or you see them on the Internet, and it seems like it's something that might be good for those people that are on a bit of a tight, not a tight budget, but, a, you know, they're not that expensive. And time budget, certainly much faster. Mm -hmm. And they seem to have all sorts of benefits laid out for folks. Do you have some opinions on these things? I have so many opinions on these things. Uh, it's, it's like everything else in life. It is complicated and nuanced, right? Because there's this theory that if you have these tiny um, meal kit packages, you're not going to have as much food waste, which is a huge contributor to climate change. So I'm for that. But as um, you know, my previous role at the Green Dining Alliance, I have to say all the packaging waste that comes with these things is terrible along with the carbon cost of delivering each individual meal to every person's doorstep. Not a fan of that. And right. then there's the other thing, which is like, who exactly are you supporting and where did this uh, meal come from? Do you think this is supporting farmers? Do you think this is supporting our local economy? Because I, I, I just don't see it. Um, some of these meal kits claim to be using, uh, well, they're not claiming, they are using uh, farmer seconds, which is food that might otherwise go to waste, which, which I admire. But that's not coming from local farmers typically, um, and the carbon footprint of transporting and processing all that food instead of supporting the farms right here is sort of absurd to me. Right. Um, if I had my druthers, more people would be joining CSAs instead, because right. that's a way you can you can meal prep for a week pretty quickly with a CSA. Um, I'm strapped for time. I hate cooking. Uh, just because I, frankly, I just hate cleaning up after myself. That's the real problem. <laughs> but, but I, I have a crock pot and I roast my veggies and I have like 
quite a variety of delicious meals that I can have every single day of the week and not have to worry about um, you know, prepping a meal every day with these weird meal kits. I'm against right. them. Okay. Overall, I, think, I think they're kind of a mess. Yeah. I see how some people, it might make sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I personally, I, I, well, I'm not going to get into it, but I can tell you this, uh, for somebody that said didn't have much expertise on this, you certainly gave us a long list of things that we might want to consider before we buy one of these babies. And personally, I, I'm all about fresh. The fresher you can get, the better. You know, I was in Vietnam uh, recently doing some work for the UN, and they don't, nobody eats anything that's processed there except noodles. That's the only thing they eat. And so, and you see people there, they're healthy. You know, right. so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we need to consider. I, I'm totally with you. I'm down with you. Uh, we got to end it up here, but I really have to go back to that question. So tell me about nutritional yeast. Come on. <laughs> so nutritional yeast, I was asked what, what food I would be if I, I could be any food. And I was like, what a weird question. And then I thought about it for a minute. It's like, you know what it is, nutritional yeast. So I'm mostly vegan and nutritional yeast is this delicious, magical ingredient that's fortified with B12, that tastes a lot like Parmesan cheese, that boosts up the umami of any single dish you add it to. It is very good. But I choose it because I chose it because it's like weird and it sounds kind of off and you might not like want to trust it at first, but it really does get the job done. It can really elevate a dish and um and I know I don't know. I feel like I identify with that <laughs> magic ingredient. <laughs> well, not, not to brag, but yeah, not I to brag. Do, I do feel well, like that might be a magic ingredient. I, I'm going to give it some thought about what kind of food I would like to be. But in the meantime, I would like to thank the wonderful and magical punker Jen DeRose of uh, Known and Grown <laughs> for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. All right. Well, you take care. Today's guest has been Jen DeRose. Jen is passionate about the environment in hometown St. Louis. She is the manager of Known and Grown, uh, part of the Missouri Coalition for Environment. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, Pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.